Abba Yahweh, thank you for this opportunity yet again. Your, your profound love, grace, and forgiveness, Father God, and thank you just for being you, not just for what you give to me or what I get. You give because you love me. It isn't anything I've done. Father God, none of us are worthy. We are all fall short of your glory, Father. And yet, Jesus came for me. Jesus came for me. And whosoever would hear the word of truth and believe, thank you for that opportunity, Father. My opportunity to share this with others so that they can have the opportunity. Abba Yahweh Aman, Yeshua Aman, Parakritos Aman. All are indeed praiseworthy. <clears throat> so, here's some interesting things on some words and, and things that individuals tend to misinterpret quite a lot, which is why I shared clarity, because <clears throat> the Holy Spirit was talking to me and made me realize that it was quite easy, especially with the way that people are nowadays, is that they would easily misunderstand what I was saying and trying to describe that God is taking a political stance or on that. And, and again, it was in no way meant to be a political platform. And God allowed me to continue with that because it's relevant and pertinent to what we're all going through now. Seek his truth, knowledge, wisdom, his truth, knowledge, wisdom, and not that of mammon. You understand? Stay out of that because once you get in, and see, that's where Satan with his white noise and his interference tries to drive us. <clears throat> well, this is a good person. Look, they're elected official. They know everything. They know stuff. Oh, that's a great doctor. He knows everything. No, 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 no. One of the best physicians that I ever met, <clears throat> when I met him, he was 80 years old, had a handshake that was like a bear trap, just clamped down and was firm and hard. His eyes were clear and bright. There was no clouding and there was nothing in there. Very knowledgeable. And he didn't prescribe a lot of medications. In fact, he prescribed very little medications unless absolutely necessary. And he reminded me that the term practicing medicine is in place for a reason. This is what physicians do. And yet they try to prescribe a medication standardized medication that is for every one, every single person. And then they try to describe their medications that they help produce by Big Pharma. But here's the sad part. And I heard this declared when, when pharmaceuticals first started getting really pumped up and stuff. You know, taking medication was originally comes from coming from nature the natural things that God put here. My native heritage is that the uh, shaman that that the uh, missionaries used to call witch doctors, and the term witch doctor was, of course, very dark and deep, and in actuality that is not and was not true. The shaman are medicine people, and they are kind of like the... Uh, I guess you could better have a 
for lack of a better description, <laughs> kind of like the high priesthood, the, the church, people go to them for medicine. They go to them for a special prayer and they go to them to, to seek knowledge that comes from the great spirit, the great spirit being, of course, God. They all spoke and they all prayed and they all did, but when there was something special that they needed or didn't understand or needed help with, they would go to the shaman. And they would seek his knowledge. And he would share with them which doctors were there were there was witchcraft and, and that sort of thing that was going on then. And those people were alienated, ostracized, they were pushed out that because people feared them, they didn't like them, and what they were doing was not a good thing. So they would put them aside. Sadly in this day. They seem to be the ones that are being embraced. You see these psychic little readings, places everywhere, everywhere. They're all over the place. And some are doing it out of their own home. They come and they take money from people to, to give them a reading. Back in Jesus' time, exorcists used to practice exorcism and they would be paid a fee for coming in to exercise a demon out of someone. I wasn't there, so I can't tell you that it was all staged or thing, but it just seems like things were established. And these individuals were making money. And the Sanhedrin and their judges allowed this to continue and allowed it to happen, that they were the ones that should be called when there was something dealing with demons, that the exorcists would be called. And only the exorcists had the power to chase out the demons. Well, excuse me. God has that power and authority. Jesus came when, when Mary was troubled and when the, you had those that were... And, and the demons expression when you go through and when he met the, the man in the tombs and Jesus just showed up. Nobody introduced him, said, demons, this is Jesus, Jesus, these are demons. He's going to get rid of you and, and make this guy whole. Nothing like that was ever done in any encounter. And there were several that Jesus came in contact with. They knew him. They already knew him. <clears throat> they knew him by his authority. He walked up and and the demon spoke to Jesus. As he approached the man, he said, Jesus, son of God, why do you come? What did we do? We didn't bother you. What, did you come to kill us? And then Jesus commanded the name to be spoken of who he was. His name was Legions, for there are many. And he cast them out, and they all went into the swine, and the swine went bonkers, and they ran out into the ocean. Their physicality was destroyed. The point that I'm making is that Jesus Christ is our refuge in all things. Truth. Knowledge and wisdom comes from God. There are many things that are taking place in this day. And many people are embracing darkness. 
and many, and this is all predicted, by the way, so it's all scriptural, and I don't have any problem in, in talking about that, but there are people that claim to be Christian that don't like to talk about these sort of things. Well, that's unfortunate because it's truth and reality, and it comes from God's Word, so what your problem is, I don't quite understand that. You need to be in the Word. You need to be talking with God. You need to be talking with our Father and have Him explain some things, straighten some things out, but stay in the Word. Don't try to formulate in your own mind to make it applicable to this world. (coughs) Pardon me. I am sorry. Um, But the truth comes from God. There are many that are walking around trying to formulate and figure out what God meant by doing this or saying this or when that's going to happen. And, and you know, well, I can figure this out because I've seen this and I read that part and I can make it happen or I can do it. It doesn't work that way. And if you try to go that way, then you're going to fall down and you're going to bust your grill on, on an edge of the curb or something. It's not going to be pleasant and it's going to hurt. And then, of course, there are those that fall like that. And instead of going back to God and say, Father, I'm sorry, I should have gone with you, I, I, forgive me, which he will do. Pick you up, give you that big old godly bear hug and squish you, set you at arms, reach, reach down and kiss your brow and smile and say, I do. I forgive you. And then off you go. However, there are those individuals that will get up and then they shake their fists at God and look up and blame God they, blame, they have the audacity to blame God for their mistake, their falling down and not paying attention to begin with. Which is what God had the problem with Israel and why they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. Because they blamed God. They said it couldn't be done just when the spies went into Canaan. There were 12, only two believed and said, yes, let's go, let's go, let's go. God said we can, God said we can, God will be with us. Let's go, let's go, let's go, Caleb and Joshua. And the others, we can't do it. We saw ourselves as grasshoppers. We saw our own shortages. We saw our own misgivings. We saw our own failures becoming evident. We we can't do it. Well, true, because you were putting yourself in the middle. I can't do it. I can't do anything on my own. I fall down a bunch, but I always ask God to forgive me. And my father does. And people try to point out in the Bible about David and about Solomon and, and, uh, you know, Job. Job must have done something. And when they fall, they get right back up and, and head right back to God. But see, the white noise interference wants us to leave that and say that we can't go back there because of our shame that we took on <clears throat> and that it's, you know, God doesn't want to see and, and if one backslides like the prodigal son, but see, this is what Jesus tried to straighten out. If you fall down, don't go away. This is what Satan wants you to do. Stay separated, walk away, not even come back. But as Jesus taught with the pro- parable of the prodigal son, that's what happens if you backslide and backsliding is a possible thing to do. Entirely possible. And people will make comments about, oh, well, the redemption mustn't have been very good if they do this or they can go back and do it. It's not got anything to do with what Jesus did. It's got to do what mammon does. 
when Jesus puts his hand and redeems you and says you're, you're cleansed, you're healed, but then you get pulled and tempted and Satan work, works hard at that. His puppets and his minions, they work hard at keeping you separated and apart from God. They work diligently. They work harder than most Christians do in sharing the word of God. They work harder at getting one separated from God and keeping them apart and destroying families and corrupting and, and uh, condemning and pointing their finger and getting blamed. They work harder than many Christians. <laughs> That's sad that the minions of hell are working harder and in some cases better than those that are claiming to be Christian? Wow, that's, yeah, I said that with a question in my voice. It, it, that's just, my gosh. Whew. That's just really, really pretty pathetic, actually. But it's also very truthful. That means we have to work and step up the game. We have to step up and share the truth and get that out to as many people as will listen and don't be confrontational. If they don't want to hear it, walk away. Walk away and cast prayer. Don't say, well, God bless you anyway, because that's turning that blessing into a curse. That is forbidden by the word of God. You do not change anything that God gives us to impart a blessing from him, a gift from him, into something cursory. Do not. And you don't, And that's being confrontational. I've had people try to throw that at me because they weren't getting their way. They became angry, which was... And they were acting not very Christian-like. And they threw Jesus' blood. And they threw an oath of God and turned it into a curse. <coughs> which is something that is not recommended to do. I haven't seen them since. I used to see them all the time. I'm not declaring anything happened to them. I'm just saying that the spirit of truth opposed the spirit of lies, and the spirit of truth and the Holy Spirit in the hand of God is greater. So... Unbeknownst to me, maybe they see me and I'm operating that particular, then they want to ride, but then they decide to wait. And that's okay. <clears throat> but the point is that Jesus Christ is the truth. The Lord God Almighty is the truth and he sends it to us in the word of God. That's his truth. You know, and, and things that happen on this plane of existence that Jesus came for us and it is a truth and we can trust God we can trust that the Lord has promised to be with us and he is just because you don't see him doesn't mean he's not there and just because you don't talk to him and you don't hear him when he responds doesn't mean he's not listening. And just because you have a problem, old adage, don't make your problem my problem. God's not going to tell you that, but I'm telling you that. Don't make your problem his problem. Not in that way. What you do is you make your problem and you give it to God. You, you let go of it, you release it, and you lay it at the altar of prayer. 
That way you give it to God. But don't sit there and make your problem God's problem by saying, well, you know, you didn't this and you didn't that. Oh boy, it's not good to go to God in arrogance that way. And that is arrogant. Humbly approach God and say, Father, I have to give this to you. I can't do it. I want to leave this with you. You give it to God that way, but not in trying to point your finger and accuse God and blame God for your being in a predicament that you created to begin with. And quite honestly, most of the time when we're getting a predicament, is it not of our own creating? Are we not putting ourselves in these little prisons that we put ourselves in because we believe the white noise of the devil instead of the truth of the word of God? Therein lies the problem. Which way are you leaning? Are you leaning toward those gossip mongers and those rumor mills and the, the out of the mouths of mammon come untruth and lies and uncleanliness? Or are you leaning to the word of God by one who believes and honestly, genuinely reads and stays in the word and professes his truth? Not necessarily pointing back at myself, but anyone that is sharing the truth, the knowledge and the wisdom of God and declares God is sovereign. Are you leaning that way or toward the white noise? And if you're leaning toward the white noise and you get all scrambled up and you go headlong into something without being with God, then it's something that you've created, something that you managed to put in place. In the Hall of Faith, Hebrews 11 talks about all the faith in all these folks. But if you look back in the story and you go back to the Old Testament, many of them, they started out trying to do it on their own and then realized that God had to be involved, otherwise they were going to fail miserably. And some of them got in the middle of something and did anyhow. And then you had Job. Oh my gosh. A good and faithful man of God. And then when he lost everything out, and he lost all his possessions, everything he had, his wealth and all this, then his quote-unquote friends showed up. Quite honestly, several were not even his real friends. They were just hanging out with Job because he was wealthy, and they were not or maybe moderately so. But in their culture, and then they, Job was a powerfully wealthy individual. But these so-called friends came to hang out with him, and just because, I mean, he lost everything. His wife, his family, everything. And he actually called the guy. He never once raised his fists and blamed God, accused God, and was going to leave God. He just asked God, he said, I've lost everything. I can't do this on my own anymore. God, just let me die. Of course, God didn't allow that to happen. But his so-called friends, quote-unquote friends, showed up, and then they tried to say that Job must have done something to anger God. It had to be something Job said, something Job did. And he had, I mean, what kind of comfort is that? You have somebody come up, and you know, they're sitting with you and say, oh, we're really feel badly that you're going through this job. You know, we're just going to sit with you. Couldn't just sit with him and be silent and quiet and let him sit there and grieve. And there were several that did just exactly that. They just came to be with him. But then you had those 
They had to get verbal. And then they had to accuse Job of something that they had no knowledge of. They had no knowledge of. They had not even, all they did, they heard that something had happened to Job and it was catastrophic. So they showed up and then they tried to tell Job what he had done wrong and why he was where he was. They tried to take the position and authority of God to tell Job what he had done to cause this. The causation of what happened. Well, Job righteously went off on him. But here's the other thing, too, that happened. Job was made more wealthy and and was blessed much more than what he was before it happened because he remained true to God the whole time. He remained true to God the whole time. When we get caught up in these issues, we try to, we wander off and we try to catapult ourselves into the midst of this thing and figure it out on our own, putting me, 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 I, I, I in the middle. Remember the word pride, P-R-I-D-E. Right smack in the middle of it is I, all about me. Me, myself, and I. The three of you are going to fail. That's why there's a holy trinity, the Father, God, Jesus Christ, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, Paracletos. And me, myself, and I cannot do anything close to comparing. Hmm. God can take us through storms. He can take us through things that we... So one of my readings, and I'm going to share this because I I found this really um, very thought-provoking and very, very good. thought it was awesome, actually. A person, A.M. Hunter, said this thing about trusting God. Christ either deceived mankind by conscious fraud, or he was himself deluded, or he was and is divine. There is no getting away from this trilemma. So where does your mind go with this? Is Jesus a fraud? Did he perpetrate one of the greatest frauds of all? Or is he divine? I tend to go with the latter. Look, Jesus Christ told him that it was going to happen. He said, they're going to crucify me. They're going to put me to death. It happened. He says, I'm going to die. I'm going to hang on the cross. That happened. But he also told him, he said, in three days, I will come back. I will rise again. And then I'll go be with my father. On the third day that happened, they went and the stone was rolled away from the tomb. And of course, the Pharisees and Sadducees and the Sanhedrin and all those yahoos, they tried to declare that the disciples came and stole his body. Well, this is where the import comes in. It would have taken a dozen or more men in that day to move the stone. We're talking that this thing was tons, okay? It was huge. They were made that way. And this tomb that Joseph of Arimathea had carved out of solid stone was for himself. And the stone was custom made and everything so it fit tightly and everything was tight against this thing. And it was made that way. And yet, the stone was moved, cast aside, actually. Something with great power and might came, grabbed that stone and tossed it. And there was an angel sitting on it and said, Whom do you seek? You look for whom you call Jesus. He's not here. 
and they peered in to see. And remember what I shared before. And the word actually eludes that it doesn't come right out and say so. But think about it. Did the almighty, only begotten son of God, the heavenly father, the crown prince of heaven, with his might and authority and all that he did, really think that they needed to move the stone so he could get away and get out? No. The stone was moved so that others would see that, oh, look, he said so. It happened, and they look in, and he was indeed gone. But then he stayed around. He wandered from place to place so that many could see. Why did he do that? Why do you suppose that Jesus stayed after being crucified and risen from the grave? He stayed so that people would see that, hey, trust me, I told you it would happen. Look now and see. So this is why my trust is in my Lord and my faith is in God and the Holy Spirit to guide the truth because I have, although not there and seeing, but I believe. And there are those, and this was that first perverted maniacal young man that I shared with you and then was viewing and saw the anagram and the Satan symbols in the back, knowing that this was being perpetrated and the word twisted, which you have to remember, Satan can do that. He used to live in heaven. He knows what the word is. He knows and he remembers. Do you not think that he instructs his minions? And you have to remember that a third of the angels would cast out with him. Do you not think that they know the word? They don't hold the word because if they did, they wouldn't have been tossed. But they know what the, the word of God is about. Do you not think that they ever heard it? And this is the other thing that we have to remember is that the enemy is very good at manipulating and twisting that truth making you think that it's one thing. And this guy was trying to say that the Bible proved that Jesus Christ is a liar. Jesus, the anointed of God, Christ is a liar. He took the verse completely out of context, completely out of context. And Jesus himself said that no man knows the hour save the Father. God is the only one that knows. So he's trying to take the verse out of context and well, Jesus said he'd come back, whereas he's running a little late. No, he's not. He's running exactly on time. And the foolish young man was trying to portray this as if God is on our time watch. God doesn't operate on our time watch. Remember what we are told? A, a year is as a thousand days to God, or a thousand years. A day is as a thousand years to God. A thousand years is as a day. How does that work and compute into our our watches and our time frame? It doesn't. So how are you going to say that that verse talking about Jesus coming back proves him to be a liar because he's not here? Wait, why? Because you put a time stamp on it? Hardly. For me, I've already shared. I have empirical evidence. I need to share the definition. I can do that, but I'm not because I think I've harped on it uh, 
enough that you know. But it's important. Empirical evidence is that evidence is shown to be so true and you learn by experience through it. It can't be denied. And as I've shared, you can try to convince me, but because of what I lived through, what I am living through, and what I have witnessed, you can't change my mind. I just pray the strength that if things become darker before God decides to take me from this plane of existence and allow me to come home, that I have the strength, I pray for that strength to be able to stand up boldly and righteously as Daniel did, as Hananiah, Mishael, and Amzariah did. They told Nebuchadnezzar to his face. They weren't confrontational, but they told him, it doesn't matter, you do your worst, and you're going to. You're going to throw us into a furnace. It doesn't matter, because God is either going to deliver us from that fiery furnace, or even if we should perish in that fiery furnace, it doesn't matter, because we will not stop worshiping God and believing in God. And when they threw him in the furnace, it was so hot <clears throat> that his own men were struck down and consumed. That's how hot it was. And that's just when they got close enough to toss these guys in the fire. But instead, they were consumed. And then it happened. That authority that I shared, the demons knowing the authority of Jesus Christ and the truth, he recognized and he leaned forward because it's described in the Bible, partially. But the furnace was built with a large opening in the front so that Nebuchadnezzar could sit and watch those that were thrown in to be consumed. He watched it happen. <clears throat> this was not a really terrific guy. So he leaned forward and he looked. And of course, again, I share the rhetorical question that he threw out to his counselors that were whispering in his ears. They told on Daniel, which is why he was thrown in the lion's den. They told on these three, which is why they were thrown in the furnace. And he leaned forward and he said, did we not put three men in the furnace? Why then is there a fourth? And I see them walking around. And they, of course, were, didn't know what he was talking about. And they're doing the finger on the lip thing. Blah, 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 blah. We don't know. I, I, uh, do you know? I don't know. Do you know? No, I don't. And they're looking around. They have no answer for the king, which didn't make them very happy. And when they took, when they stepped out of the furnace, they came out. Nothing on their body was harmed. They didn't even smell like they'd been in the fire. Some of you have to have been around a campfire have to have gone camping, I would think. I would hope. And if you haven't, then you need to do so. It's very cool. You get out there way away from anybody and anything. You build a fire. You sit around it for warmth and you sit around it. And it's beautiful. But in the morning, you're going to smell like campfire. They didn't even smell of the furnace. Their clothes, ones, none of the hairs on their body were singed. Nothing. And the ropes were loose and gone. Because they had put them on, they were consumed. They were gone. But nothing on their bodies was harmed. Didn't even smell like the fire. That's power. That's authority. That's my Lord. That's where my trust goes. Is 
a man of his word. He shared with us that this would happen, and it did happen. So you can go whichever leaning direction you want to be in or you want to waver back. That's okay, but the truth be told. The truth is told. And I am sharing the truth because that's what God desires of me, to be about his business to share the truth. And that's all I will do. And if it affected something in my life and I can give testimony to that, then I will. But it's not about a pat on my back by any shape, way, or form. No way. This is to glorify God and my Lord for being in my life and that they did. That thing I shared about the tow truck, God, Holy Spirit, Jesus in my life. And I wasn't even walking with him like I should be. It just makes my desire to be more and more that way. I want to be closer. And then also, too, knowing that getting closer to God's getting me in more trouble because you think that Satan's just going to give up and let me, let me alone. That's not going to happen. Not going to happen. It's a greater feather in his cap or his whatever, even if you wear it. It's a, it's a greater boon for him that someone would be taken away from God even as close as they had gotten and just about there and then taken away and then they decide to walk away from it. Look, I, I use that pastor as an example. 12, 14 years, whatever, I can't remember the exact number now. But he got up to the pulpit and he was standing behind the dice and just declared all this stuff to his congregation and then just got off and walked away in front of these people that he had preached to and had probably married some of them and gone through all this. Don't you think that things are going through their head? Gosh, does that mean that we're not married anymore? Does that mean, oh my gosh, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? What are we going to do? Go to God, go in prayer, pray for him that he would repent and come back. He, he just became that prodigal son. It's possible to do, and that's what we're supposed to do. Don't just give up on each other. Goodness gracious. I know where from I speak because I did that thing. I've shared that with you before. But thank God that she's got this beautiful heart. She's a beautiful person. She walks with God. She said, I'm forgiven. There's still a small part and inkling that I I can't forgive to myself and I keep praying to God and, and laying that out there and he knows. But I'm not wallowing in pity and sorrow for what happened. I just do feel badly that I allowed it to happen. But I allowed it to happen. I was not walking where I should have been. And like I shared before, when we do those things, we jump out ahead and we try to do it on our own. This is what happens. But I created this little... Jail cell, you might say, but I'm not bound up by it. I don't allow Satan to drag me into that place where he does with many people that he drags them down and binds them to this stuff. But we have to remember that trust and not be afraid. And uh, <laughs> my team, I'm going to share, I'm not even going to get it right because I think I'm going to paraphrase or go off with it and, and not, but but part of one of my readings from one of the elders and, and men that I very much trust to be in the word of God because I've tried the spirit. I've shared this with you. Try the spirit. So the analogy that he's putting toward trustworthiness and, and trust has to be earned. And you might fall and fail, but you can earn it back. It just takes time and if you 
done something, then, then people have to be willing to, to do that. And if they're not, then you have to face the facts. But anyway, a little boy comes up, he's on the beach, and he goes up to this woman who's sitting out there reading and, and uh, an older lady. So he starts to question her, and, and he has this curious look on his face, and he asks her about her faith and belief and prayer and Bible, you know, asking about her Christian habits and everything. She answers affirmatively to all his questions and to his satisfaction. So then he digs in his pocket and he hands her his coins. And he says, I'm going to go swimming. And I trust you with this. He needed to be assured that she was going to be trustworthy and not take his money and run off with it. He was a child. Of course, he was a grown-up. But in his mind, he was she going to run away with his money? <laughs> but But her answers were... Enough that he trusted her, so he left it with her, and he went to swim. <clears throat> but we have to put our trust in the Lord. and know that he's... I remember the Bible describes him as a man of many sorrows, and he's grieved and, and come here. And Jesus actually empathizes closer with us. He came as a man, was tempted as a man. He went through... Uh, anguish. He went through heart. He went through grief. He had he had people that died around him. His cousin died, but he went back and he raised him. And the members of the Sanhedrin that were present and the other Jewry, they were there. And when they saw him weeping, he wasn't weeping because Lazarus had died. He was weeping because of their lack of faith. And it broke his heart. But when he raised Lazarus, their, their minds were blown, you might say. And there were many that actually turned to him and came to him and they knew, oh my gosh, we know. And there are many that grabbed onto that and hold it as empirical evidence for them. Oh no, I know he is because I saw him take a man from a tomb and he walked out and is alive. I saw him do that. That for me cannot be taken away because I saw it. And yet, as I share, when, uh, <clears throat> when Jesus was talking to them on Mount before he was transfigured, there were some that even at that point, they walked away and said, well, he's leaving. I'm going to be... <laughs> I'm going to be up a creek without a paddle and I'm just going to be floundering and I'm going to get washed over the waterfall. I, I'm not hanging around. I got, I have better things to do than to walk with the Lord. He's leaving. He's not going to be here to walk with me. I'm gone. And they did. They, there were many that left. After being with Jesus as long as they were and following him's teachings and following what he was telling. And all the time, they weren't leaning in and listening. And when they had questions, they didn't ask them. They just went aside and started assuming things. And when I was younger, the word assume makes an ass out of you and me because you don't try to figure it out and you don't ask the appropriate questions to one another. So then you both wind up with long ears and braying instead of talking. Hee-haw. Yes, it does. So they assumed things, and they went and tried to figure it out on their own, and they discussed. The disciples did that very thing. They were men. They weren't perfect because they were following Jesus, and many of them argued. When Jesus left, they even argued. 
amongst themselves. They weren't blessed by Jesus and all of a sudden they just started floating around with him wherever he went. There was time when he was gone from them and for days of time and they were arguing and things were being said and he realized when he came back and he asked them sometimes and he would present, well, what were you talking about? Oh, nothing, nothing, nothing. Oh, were we talking about anything? No, we weren't talking about anything, nothing. He already knew what they were saying and he confronted him with that. Why do I bring this up? I bring this up as, where is your trust? This person that had been sharing all these miracles and all these teachings and all this truth with them the whole time, and then they still walked away. Seems to me like trust was in self more than it was in Jesus. And when we go through this routine that we get established, that we establish, and it, and we're comfortable in it, and then something happens, all of a sudden you get a flat, bop, 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 the wheel starts to wobble. You're not running quite as smooth as you were. But when everything is predictable and everything's fine, we're in our comfort zone, which many people don't like to leave their comfort zone. They don't want to get out and share the gospel because that's outside their comfort zone. Do I sound like I'm exasperated? I am, because there are those that claim to be Christian, self-professed Christian, and they claim this Christianity, yet I don't hear anything from them in sharing. All they do is they go and hang out at church, and it is just hanging out. And I actually had an individual declare how embarrassing it was that I would worship the way I worship. Well, excuse me, then you need to get yourself together, get your act together. Don't tell me that worshiping my God out loud and don't try to declare how imperfect I am. And I mean, goodness gracious, they threw everything. But at that time, I wasn't walking as close to the Lord as I should have been and as close to him as I am now. Yeah, I got defensive. But the end of it, and that was totally wrong on my part. Totally wrong. You don't respond that way. All you need to do is close the mouth, turn your back, and walk. That's all there is to it. But we have a tendency to want to be retaliatory. Why? What's the point? There is no point. Because their mind is already made up. Your mind is already made up. And this is why the Bible, and, and so importantly, and Paul reminds us to be of like-mindedness. We are one body. If you're going to worship God and you're in the body of Christ and you're worshiping in his house, invited to come and worship him, then we are to be like-minded. Pray for one another, uplift one another. Don't be condemning and don't be blaming. I mean, that's not appropriate. It's not where we should be. But when we get uncomfortable and the wheel starts to get wobbly and it starts to bend, but remember that we are his and he is with us and that we take refuge in the shadow of his wings. He is our strong tower. David talks about this in the book of Psalms. He is our strong tower. <clears throat> he is our refuge. Run to God. And many people, instead of running that way, they run the other way or... <clears throat> In the midst of some turmoil or storm is in the midst of the storm, what do they do? They hunker down and they pull their, their collar up tight close and they are whining about being there. Oh, why'd you stop? You're still in the storm. You're going to have to wait it out now. 
or if you continue heading toward God or walking, because he's not left you. You don't have to walk toward him. You just reach out and you grab his hand and you keep walking with him and he holds you tightly and just walk. And then before you know it, you turn around and look back and the storm is way behind you. Or more inclined to believe that he probably put you on his foot and he was walking with you there. You know, like a, like a, my father used to do with me. He used to hold my hand, put my feet on his feet, and then he would walk. I used to get such a kick out of that. God does that with us. You know, like the footprints in the sand, the lithograph, and you look back and there was only one foot of print, prints. Well, that's because that's when God was carrying you. I love that. It's very true and it's very absolutely but instead of crying and whining and about this turmoil and all the things, we have to thank God for being with us through it. Thank him for the instance, for a lesson, for strengthening, and that's what he's doing. Leading us to him and our trust to grow stronger and our faith in him so that we are meant and strengthened for the kingdom of heaven. And we have to be able to trust him and not be afraid in what's going on. Isaiah shares this in in, uh, chapter 12. Surely God is my salvation. I will trust the Lord and not be afraid. The Lord, or as they say in the Old Testament, Hashem. Hashem, the Lord my God, is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. Which, thinking about this now, and the Holy Spirit's talking to me as I'm sharing with you to remind you that 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 is not considered to be a messianic prophecy. And there were many that, that Isaiah foretold of and talked about it. But think about it. He has become my salvation. He's talking about Lord God already being in strength and all this thing, but he has become my salvation. Who became the salvation? Jesus came, was crucified, and died for my sake. He saved me. He saved me from myself. And anyone else that would hear and listen, trust, and follow. Just saying, my perception. In the book of Psalms, David, in one of his poems, from the ends of the earth I call to you. I call as my heart grows faint. Let me, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. For you have seen, you have been my refuge, a strong tower against the foe. I long to dwell in your house forever and take refuge in the shelter of your wings. David wrote that in Psalm 61. Instead of hunkering down in the storm, continue moving. And Paul, in his letter to the Corinthians. In 2 Corinthians, we will find... Pardon me, I'm flipping my pages here. Goodness, how did I do that? <laughs> Sorry. But we find in 2 Corinthians, Corinthians 3, Paul writes about this and reminds the Corinthians. Do we begin again to commend ourselves? 
Or need we, as some others, epistles of commendation to you or letters of commendation from you? Ye are epistle written in your our hearts, our epistle written in our hearts, known and read of all men. For as much as ye are manifestly declared to be the epistle of Christ ministered by us, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not in tables of stone, but in fleshy tables of the heart. That is what that what Paul's talking about right there is the validation of man. Do you need to write a validation letter for somebody else or them for you so that you're validated and you feel worthy of anything? He's talking about it comes straight from God and that the word that we're sharing comes from God. Don't need validation of men. I don't need validation from any of you. I don't need you to say, oh, attaboy, Raven. Don't need that. I mean, it's nice. It's appreciated if you feel that way. But God validates what I do and what I say already. That's what I want to hear. But we are, we all, with open face, beholding us in a glass, at the glory of the Lord, are changed into the same image from glory to glory, and even as the Spirit of the Lord. So Paul is trying to describe that it's like looking in the mirror, and we see this thing coming, and we can see a change being made, by the glory of God and by our Lord Jesus Christ. You are in my prayers. Am I going out? Am I coming in? Be blessed and have a great day.